There comes a point in our lives when we strive to define our true meaning and purpose. Many of us move through our existence day after day, living through the same cycles and patterns that leave us feeling unfulfilled and searching for more. For those of us seeking a way to transform life, to capture fulfillment in every moment, to redefine how we perceive the truths of our reality so we can live this life to its fullest. This is the Live This Life Podcast. I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question every day. Are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, people? So in today's episode, I wanted to dive a little bit more into some spiritual concepts, something I have been wanting to incorporate into the show just a little bit more. And I wanted to talk about my journey over the last few years in trying to search for something a little bit more of a spiritual fulfillment in my life and really what spirituality meant to me, not what it meant to someone else, not what someone else was telling me that it needed to mean to me. I wanted to know deeply what actually spirituality was, what it actually could be defined as in my life. And in that process, I dabbled into learning about a whole bunch of different religions. I first started off with diving into a bit of Christianity. That's sort of the one that was predominant in my life from a young age. So I kind of returned to it and I learned a lot about it deeply. And extremely religious or anything, uh, we would go to church on Christmas, you know, we'd go to some masses and stuff like that. Uh, But that was really the extent of it. We would maybe say grace at the table every once in a while, but it was never really like a consistent basis. But it, it didn't really have a huge overarching influence on my life. And as I got older, a lot of things didn't resonate with that religion. So when I turned back to it at a certain point, I asked a lot of the questions that I asked. Even at a certain point, I went to Sunday school. And I remember being there asking a lot of questions about things like Adam and Eve. And how, you know, if Adam and Eve had kids, wouldn't those kids, if they got married, wouldn't that kind of be like incest, you know? And that didn't go over very well, you know? When I asked things about Noah's Ark, you know, I I brought in like scientific perspectives. I was a really kind of, uh, not going to say nerdy kid, but I knew a lot about a lot of different things. I I was very inquisitive. So this was just a part of that. And I said, you know, not all the animals in the world could fit on it because some of them, you know, were in Antarctica, Antarctica, like penguins. And they couldn't survive and and brought in all these different facts. You know, they couldn't put enough food on the ship for 40 days and, and everything else. And I remember the answer that I got most of the time was, sometimes there just isn't a logical answer and you just have to believe. And to me, that, that wasn't enough. And even now as an adult, that stuff doesn't just sit well. Just having the, you need to just believe. I need concrete answers. My mind's very analytical. I need to believe things beyond a reasonable doubt. That's something I haven't shed from years worth of what I've learned in my adult life. One of the biggest things that shifted some of my spiritual perspectives on religion and philosophy was when I learned 
when I dug deeper about religion, that the Bible was extremely altered. The Christian Bible was extremely altered in 325 by the Emperor Constantine and a large group of priests in an effort to gain political control over the masses. And many books were removed for the sole purpose, really, in my opinion, of the fact that they empowered people just a little bit more. It created a narrative that didn't ultimately create allegiance and reliance towards a relationship with God through a church or institution. And when I saw that, I called BS. You know, who was this imperialist to say that the words of God, the words in really our history, it was probably the the biggest history book that we had of those times. Not many people knew how to read and write. These stories were handed down over millennia. And this guy and a bunch of priests get together and said that these ones are allowed and these ones are not. And I feel like that was kind of similar to what you were seeing today. It was a huge part of censorship. And I, you know, obviously some things today, some of the things that they're removing from society, a lot of like racial, racist things from uh, things that people like to call quote unquote history, different story. I'm talking about some of these books that some of the teachings that are in them were so profound and some of them were a little bit out there, left open to interpretation, but still something didn't resonate with me very much where these people got together and removed what was Old Testament stuff. And I found that really significant. So from that point forward, um, I, I doubted a lot of what I had learned regarding religion and Christianity um, just because there was so much significant alteration, I did not resonate with that fact. But there was so much of the Bible and those teachings that I did resonate with. And even now, even someone who has such an expanded religious perspective and spiritual perspective, I still turn back to a lot of the teachings of the Bible. Um, but definitely by no means consider myself Christian, probably never will. Um, but there was just so much of what I felt in my soul that was was correct uh, but other things I didn't resonate with. So I dove deeper into what other religions had to offer and see what their perspectives were and what their philosophies were. Um, and what I found in a bunch of different religions was that they had some great concepts just like Christianity, but there were other things that I did not resonate with. I'm like, oh, I like this. I like this, but whoa, I don't like that one particular thing. And it was only within, I'd say maybe the last year or two that I discovered all of the current sort of perspectives that I have on multiple religions and that that's actually a religious philosophy in and of itself. And, you know, really what is a religion? You know, it's a, it's a faith of spirituality. Um, I really don't like the word religion. I think that's too much of a institution or indoctrination. It really puts you into a, a box. And I obviously, if you're a longtime listener of the show, I don't like being put into a box. Um, but really what, what is a religion? It's a faith. And what is a faith? It's a belief. What is a belief? It's a philosophy or a perspective. So from, from there, I discovered that the perspectives of having multiple religions, having a piece of several different religions, you know, having it almost basically be like a puzzle. And you're fitting all of those small pieces into an overall encompassing human spiritual experience. It had a name. And that philosophy is omnism. 
And that's really what I want to talk about in this episode today. Now, the root word of omnism, omni, means everything, all-encompassing, the all. It is the yin and the yang together, that circle of the yin and the yang, that is maybe a representation of the omni. The two halves of that whole, they're two different polarizations, but the union of them both is an overall encompassing picture. And really, that's really what omni means. And it's the transcendence of any duality. Every single thing, though, tends to be a part of one whole. And when you transcend something, you become, you know, a whole, but you're still most likely a part of something, another another polarized part of something grander. I mean, when you look at black and white, gay and straight, male and female, those are all different poles. A polarity is created when there's any division. But each one of those has an over-encompassing whole to it. It's humanity. You know, whether it's religion or politics, the two halves make up the whole, and the omni is the over-encompassing whole. I mean, when you just look at Christianity, it is a religion made up of certain human beings' religious and spiritual experiences. Jesus was a man who, you know, obviously the religion is based after. Jesus, in my opinion, was a man who was born of a mother and father who were part of an extremely enlightened group of people, the Essenes, and they were a group of Gnostic uh, spiritual people. And the Gnostics kind of believed that a lot of the Hebrew Bible was, um, I guess, sort of created with the intent of misguiding people um, to create a whole bunch of judgments that human spirituality was different than what they believed it was. And Jesus was a son of those people in this group. Obviously, they had some sort of heightened spiritual perspective. The, the, the Essenes were actually supposed to be the ones who had created the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I thought was extremely fascinating. But I believe Jesus was, from birth, born differently, whether he had a step up because of his parents' spiritual beliefs. Um, I believe that his life was extremely unique. But like a lot of things that get lost with time, I feel like it was very mythologically convoluted. There were some stories about Jesus and the missing years of Jesus, where he supposedly went to the Far East and he maybe studied some sort of form of Eastern religions or philosophies like Buddhism. And when he returned, I think he left around age 12. I think it was like 18 years that he was missing. So I think he left around age 12 and returned to age 30. But when he returned, he had some magnificent gifts. I mean, before he left, he was already teaching at synagogues and churches about some of his spiritual beliefs. And then when he returned, it was a whole other level of whatever happened when he was gone. And then those stories that we're all familiar with about healing people, walking on water, those all started to emerge. Now, what is very difficult to follow is the historical stories of all of this stuff because these things have been completely controlled. I mean, you got to think for 2000 years, the Catholic Church and the Roman Empire had just did anything they wanted to. You know, their empire just spread all over the place. There's a lot of arguments that there are still several different pieces of the Roman Empire that still exist, being sovereign state of um, the Vatican, London, and Washington, D.C. Um, that goes down a whole other road, but still, the influence of, of 
what Christianity and Catholicism became over 2000 years, things were completely controlled by the Emperor Constantine and a bunch of these bishops that removed stuff from the books, uh, the books from the, the Bible, and what parts of the Bible could remain. They made this determination. And the religion that came out of that was one that was an institution and brought in a whole lot of power for these people um, because it controlled the people. In fact, right there, that one fact made me dig so much deeper into everything about what that religion had and everything about what other religions had got really, really deep into the history of where certain religions came from, what they were about, what their supposed truths were, so that I could figure out whether or not I resonated with that. I needed to find something because usually when people got really lost in their lives, like I felt like I had been at a certain point in the last few years, they turn to God. You know, they become a born-again Christian. They be, they find God. They They have this profound spiritual experience that I was looking for, but as I went there, I couldn't find it because it just deep down didn't feel right. And a lot of people will do sort of that religious leapfrogging where they'll jump around from philosophy to philosophy to philosophy. And you kind of wonder, it's like, well, 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 I thought you were a Christian a few days ago. Now you're a Wiccan. Now you're this. Now you're that. And then you find a lot of people who maybe did that at one point in their lives are now resonating with this concept of omnism. And it resonated for me because when I did all this investigating, there were so many altered truths, but there were certain things that seemed to sort of peer through the clouds. And those things I really did like. You know, one thing that really bothered me was who was this emperor to change hundreds, if not thousands of years worth of old text to fit a narrative that he saw fit? Who was this man, this human? to change the supposed word of God, how he saw fit, so he could control the masses. Um, that really bothered me as far as Christianity goes. Now, back to the concept of Jesus and, and the subject of him, I believe that his experience was extremely profound. I believe that he tapped into something. He tapped into just really something that every person possibly has in this physical incarnation. And therefore, he was perceived as being this connected being to the creator. And because of that, he was able to transcend what happens when I feel like we physically incarnate from wherever we come from, whatever spiritual dimension or whatever place we come from before we're incarnated here on earth. I feel like basically when you tap into that higher level, you're able to transcend that amnesia that happens when people come here, that sleep that they rise from when they're born. And people forget who they are, what they are, why they came here. And I feel like he was able to transcend all that. Either it was a gift from birth or the things that he learned, but he remembered who he was, why he came here, and why his work was so important. You know, he became a part of that omnipresence. He transcended that that duality of spiritual and human, those two experiences, the, the yin and the yang, and he transcended into just a state of being. And I believe that he had an extremely difficult time expressing what he had learned in his experiences in that contemporary age, where 
pretty much Hebrew belief um, surrounded him everywhere. And you have to be careful, even in some of the things that I'm saying right now, especially if you are a lifelong Christian, a lot of the things that I'm saying are blasphemous. Um, I totally get that. And I'm sorry for the disrespect if, if any of the things that I'm saying goes against your religious perspective. Not That's not my intention at all. I'm not here to disprove anything. Basically, what my words on this, on this concept, is that your beliefs are true. Your belief is is key to who you are, but that's not supposed to be built on a foundation of having a higher perspective than others. Yours is right, theirs is wrong. Because there's 4,000 religions or more in the world. You're going to tell me that one of them has it right and the other 3,999 have it wrong. I don't think so. And even back then, Jesus had to be extremely careful because of the persecution. Everything that he said that didn't go along with the narratives of the time was blasphemous. And so many religions now will just completely shun or shut off anybody who's a non-believer. They don't go along with what someone who stands up on a stage on a Sunday morning and says, if you don't believe everything that they're saying, then you're blasphemous. You know, you're, you're sort of out of the circle. Your ears, um, you know, the, the ears of people that don't deserve to hear what you're saying because you don't go along with the beliefs. And I believe that just that concept right there that's built into a lot of religions is that dividing line, that falsehood of division that keeps us separated with this tunnel vision from from perceiving the entirety of what could be an overall encompassing human experience, what we're supposed to experience. And I feel like the division that happens um, really holds a lot of people back. You know, one of the famous things that Jesus said was, I and the Father are one. And in short, he was saying that he essentially was God, that there was a union between the two of them, which in and of itself in that time was blasphemous with most people. But even upon his death, when they were calling him out for his blasphemous statements, they mentioned that one in particular, saying that, you know, you believe you're God and his response to that was, you know, doesn't the ancient texts that you all follow, all of you people who are persecuting me, doesn't your ancient text say that ye are gods? And I thought that was amazing. You know, he's pointing out their hypocrisy upon his death. He's saying that this is my perspective and your religions, your ancient books. And this was before, you know, the Council of Nicaea removed a lot of these things from the Bible. He brought that up and said, well, wait a minute, I have this perspective and you're calling me blasphemous for having this perspective, but don't your texts actually say this? Have you, have you not listened? Have you not learned what it says? I'm just repeating what they say. And I thought that was amazing. You know, if we all come from this creator, then we're always part of this creator. You know, just as one of your blood cells is a cell within you. It is a distinct, separate thing. It is a blood cell, but it is still a part of you. It's part of your being. Even if you take it out, that is your blood. Just like a cup of water. If you take a cup of water and remove it from the ocean, it's a cup of salt water. You know, you've taken it out of the ocean. It is now a distinct, separate entity, I would say. It's a cup full of salt water. But then if you just turn the cup upside down and dump it back into the ocean, how do you differentiate that cup from the ocean? 
it's just in a container. And as soon as you pour it back, it becomes part of the ocean again. And that fact is no different. You are just a different container. You have come from some sort of one source and you end up returning to it in some way, shape, or form. You're just in a separate container for this time being. But it doesn't mean that you're separate. The illusion of separation is the thing that we have to try to transcend. And it is so hard in the condition that we're put in in life. We have so many distractions. We have so many things in so long of a condition, especially how long sometimes it takes. It took me 30 something years to attain the perspective of just thinking about these kinds of concepts. So all of those years, all of that division that was built, that ego that was built up, the ego is probably one of the most dividing things. E-G-O, edging God out. And when you remove that division and realize that, yes, you may be in a separate container, but you are still part of the whole, that's exactly what Jesus was saying in that statement. And I thought that was so extremely profound. And I think it was that realization right there that made me lean so much toward everything of more of an omnipresent philosophy to look at the entire picture, to take bits and pieces of all of these different philosophies and sort of bring them together into my own spiritual experience, my own spiritual belief. And really, I think one of the closest things that you can, you can feel in life to maybe that overall connectedness is the, the, the feeling that you have, like the best description is the feeling that you get when you're in some of the deepest meditation. If you're not a meditator, um, I highly suggest that you get into it in some sort of a practice um, because when you can actually clear your mind of all thoughts, and here I am three or four years in of being someone who meditates at least six days a week, sometimes I'll miss one day um, it's even hard for me to get into a zero mind state. My mind is always so busy. I always try to shut it off. I do it for like a half an hour a day. And sometimes if I'm lucky, I can get down to maybe a minute or two. But those of you who've done it, and maybe those of you who try it and get there, you'll understand what I'm saying. It's a complete feeling of bliss, I guess is the closest thing I could say. But when I say it, I don't mean like bliss as in a happiness. I don't mean like an exhilaration. But I also don't mean it's like you don't feel any depression or anxiety. I mean, it's a state of conscious nothingness where you're really fully aware of everything, yet you have no conscious thoughts. You have no feelings. You have no emotions. And it is like almost a weightless feeling for your mind. And you know, basically your mind just doesn't have anything going on. And then there's a moment where you become completely aware of the fact you have nothing going on and that's when it ends. And it's so difficult. Um, it's kind of like when you're in a dream state, when you kind of realize that you're dreaming and you wake yourself right up out of it. But it takes conditioning. The, the more you do it, the more you can sort of strengthen that muscle and tune things in you can stay within that a lot more apparently you can do the same thing when it comes to dream states um you can become a lucid dreamer where you realize you're dreaming you don't scare yourself sort of out of that state like i just mentioned in meditation and then you can sort of control your dreams consciously you realize you're in a dream so then you almost have this like amazing blissful controlled state where you can do anything and not wake yourself up but anyways, back to that feeling of bliss, that 
that feeling of bliss is, I think, where you get to the the closest connection of what it would be like to have a whole oneness. And I think the ultimate goal is to try to sustain that as long as you can and eventually bring that to sort of an on-demand sort of state. You've strengthened that muscle so much that you can do it at any given time. And I that's what I've heard people describe the hard, hard work that monks do for 40 years. You know, they sit there and they they meditate constantly and they strengthen that mental muscle so much that that is just how they approach life at all times. They're hyper-connected and they're always able to sort of make that connection to the over-encompassing all of everything. And I feel like the studies that Jesus embarked upon, all the training that he must have went through in some of those missing years, he studied those things and he embarked on that portion of his journey in the East and he mastered the self. He went through all those meditative practices and mastered everything so that he had that, that amazing connectedness. And from there, who knows what, what came from that. But those stories are are amazing. You know, like I said, he he taught in churches when he was a child and then he disappeared for those 18 years and he came back. Um and there's actually a book, uh, I looked it up. There was a book that I watched some um, documentaries on. I've never actually read the book. I want to get my hands on it, but it's called The 18 Absent Years of Christ. Um, I can't remember who it was by. It's, it's a extremely old book, um, but the movie was amazing. So actually, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. So it is the the one I'm referring to, but there's several others. It's the 18 Absent Years of Jesus Christ by Lord, Lloyd Kenyon Jones. This one talks about the entire concept of what he did in those missing years. But it totally fascinates me. And his parents being of that Essene Brotherhood, um, which more about them, they were an ancient Hebrew um, sect uh, of people who had some very old and profound knowledge that was was sacred and separate from the mainstream churches. And they were actually thought to be the ones who authored the Dead Sea Scrolls. They thought the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually their library. And if you're not familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's a lot of um, missing religious texts that were found in a cave back in, I think, the 1930s or 40s. Um, a, A shepherd lost his sheep in these mountains, and it was on the coast of the Dead Sea. Um, they would often throw a rock into the cave where they think their sheep went to scare the sheep back out. Did that and he heard a clay pot break, at least as of the story, and then went in, found a bunch of um, scrolls, and those were eventually brought to the mainstream and they came out. Um, didn't actually know what they had at first, but now it's believed to be ancient texts that were taken out of the Bible. And someone put them in these clay pots thousands of years ago and preserved them there. And they think it was actually the Essenes, which were the group that Jesus's parents belonged to. Um, but these people were like extremely enlightened people. Uh, so it's really interesting to learn these these alternative stories about their lives. And the whole story of Jesus is one, like I said, is just a, a crazy to think of what he possibly went through. And, um, you know, you have to kind of take these legends and all these different incarnations and try and paste them together into an objective story. The one thing I'll always say is you can't just believe the loudest voice in the room. Just because a huge worldwide institution says something, you sometimes have to doubt it. You know, I've seen a lot of different people in political powers and stuff like that get caught in blatant lies. And you have to do the investigation and thoughts for yourself. Think critically 
on your own and see what resonates true with you. And that's what literally becomes part of your reality. And personally for me, I think it was uh, you know, really logical that Jesus became a highly spiritually advanced person. Um, and it's kind of like several other key figures throughout history that had similar myth mythologies to them. Um, Jesus did miraculous things. You know, he was born to a virgin mother. He had all these different things. And I think it's all stuff that humans have the ability at some sort of point to tap into. Um, you know, he was quoted even in John 14, 12, uh, that whoever believes in him will do the works that he is doing, but will do greater things. And I thought that statement was amazing as well. And when you look deeper into history, you'll see that there was the figure of Horus in Egypt, um, uh, Krishna in India, Dionysus in Greece. Some of them were separated from Jesus by you know 900 years, thousands of years. And so several of them were there way before Christ. All the ones I just mentioned were all pre-Christ beings who all had similar stories of amazing abilities. Um, they were born around the time of Christmas. They were born to a virgin mother. They were called the King of Kings. They died and were resurrected. Um, so some crazy things there. If you connect the dots and dig a little bit deeper, it definitely gives you some food for thought and things to think about when you think you've had a spiritual perspective and then you start to learn some of these other things. You're like, wow, wow, everything that I thought is maybe not necessarily true. It was just one certain focused perspective. And when you start to broaden and get your sort of head out of the tunnel vision of what was put right in front of you and start looking at a bigger perspective, you start learning so much more and things get so much more interesting. Um, but me going off on a tangent like I always do, my point is explaining the concepts and the groundwork for future discussions of omnism. Um, different people that I've made connections with and going to come on here and talk about the subject much more than me. I wouldn't even consider myself a beginner at this point. Um, and I even debated talking about this because I feel like I'm still learning so much about it um, that who am I to, to teach anybody about it? Um, I'm really not teaching you much about it. And I'm hoping that I'm as accurate as I think I have been on some of the stuff I've already talked about. But it's it's just there to provide more ammunition for you to just dig a little bit deeper because I really can't wait to talk about more spiritual concepts and dive into a little bit of each religion from a very open-minded perspective because I think it does help build some spiritual understandings and foundations that eventually lead into some of the more contemporary and modern philosophies of law of attraction, um, uh, you know, manifestation and, you know, the power that we actually have as creators. It goes all the way into quantum physics on how we can actually affect the universe and reality. And, you know, the, the theories of emergence where things come from a vibratory field, like what is that? Is that the God particle, the God source? Um, all of those things eventually trace back to these older teachings. But diving into omnism, I think is very valuable because when you start to talk about some of these religions, certain parts were amazing. They resonated with me deeply. And a lot of people I talk to about these kind of things, they say the same stuff. A lot of people who are totally into omnism say that, you know, there's certain parts of 
of Buddhism that are awesome. You know, the concepts that they dive into that, uh, like the universal truths that nothing is lost in the universe, everything changes, uh, the laws of cause and effect. Those are three of the, the, the universal truths within Buddhism. Um, these very ancient concepts from 2000, what, 2,500 years ago is when Buddhism really emerged. These ancient concepts correlate with modern discoveries uh, that are only a few hundred years old. And I think that's absolutely amazing when you consider how old these teachings are and they're being solidified now. But with Buddhism, there's parts of that particular religion and philosophy that I did not agree with. When I dove into Buddhism, you know, you have a lot of people who you think of them as a Buddhist. They're they're peaceful. They are, you know, um, they're there for no self-serving, selfish means. They're there to serve the world and, uh, you know, extremely calm, zen, all that kind of stuff. But there's, you know, a part of it that I didn't like as well, where I couldn't actually say like, oh, yeah, I totally resonate as a Buddhist. There's a, a huge significant portion of that religion where they undermined the role of women. And there was so much inequality involving women. And then there was the self-deprecating and, and lack of any self-indulgent practices in life that that religion um promoted. And I just didn't understand that mindset of not allowing yourself to feel high vibing, indulgent sort of things in this life, in this incarnation, especially at the, the place in life that I'm in. I feel like I spent years, you know, almost two decades in a sense of self-deprecation. I did not want to get into a religion that was going to propagate that even more. I'm like, I want to get out there and do some of the things that I wasn't allowing myself to do. I want to be a little more loose in how I approach my life and not be so stuck up and square and put into a box like the way that I, I force myself into because of a career. I'm not going to let a religion do that. So that nudged me away from Buddhism. But it didn't take away from the amazing concepts that are all a part of it. The parts that I really like to follow and that I want to emulate and, and incorporate into my life. And Buddhism even acknowledges Jesus, which I thought was awesome, you know, in the sense that they believe that he was uh, an enlightened being, that he possibly incarnated many times. Um, you know, he became a bodhisattva or what they call an enlightened one to the highest degree. And that allowed him to do what he did, like the Buddha, who, you know, Buddha was reportedly someone who had psychic abilities and other supernatural powers that were similar to what Jesus did. And he got there through self-mastery and meditation, which is why they, they, say that self-deprecation, depriving yourself of some of the more indulgent things in life, it brings you to more of that meditative state where you have more of that connectedness with God because you're not, um, you're not sort of allowing the ego to ramp up and get in the way. But then some of the ancient teachings of, of Judaism also resonated with me. Some of the very mystical things that come from the teachings of the Kabbalah um, you know, every religion I felt had amazing parts of its stories, but a lot of them had significant flaws that drew me away. You know, like every person, every person in this world has the same thing. They have amazing parts of them, but they have their flaws. It's what it means to be human. And religion is a very human concept. It's a human construct. You know, religious individuality that exists in our world is amazing. It adds to cultures, and I have the deepest reverence for so many of them. Um, I feel like they add so many different things to an area and a culture and what it means to maybe be a part of that culture. But I do feel like 
all of them got something significantly wrong in their overall philosophy that prevented me from believing in any single one of them, saying, yes, I am this or I am that. I think that's why I never ended up in any of those places. So that's what drew me to Omnism, which basically the concept states that, you know, your world is literally yours to interpret how you see fit. You can use the eyes of all beliefs to visualize an understanding and communication with everyone. Love and wisdom, possibilities and inevitabilities. It is the belief that no religion is the only truth, but there's truth in all of them. You know, and I'll kind of bring this to a close by saying, you know, something that's kind of judgmental as well. As well. Um, but I'll say it anyways. I don't, I don't necessarily believe in all of the religions. Um, I don't necessarily resonate with all of them. That's not what omnism means. It's literally like an a la carte. I believe in parts of this and parts of this and parts of this. Um, like Satanism. I, I don't agree with it at all. I believe it's a re- legit religion. Um, Scientology, that's another one that, you know, it, it, it is a religion. You can't say it's not. But do I believe there's truths within it? Not really. Um, when it comes to Satanism, you know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I believe that in what I do know about it, because I just steer clear from it in just what its concepts are, uh, I know enough to steer clear. And I believe that it is the the yin to the yang, the good side of the universe, which is the yang. I believe it is the yin to what exists. Um, and again, I'm limited in its understanding and focus. Uh, again, don't want to, to to offend people if you are believing in that, but it's not something I resonate with. And that's not what omnism means. It doesn't mean that you believe in them all. It is the, the concept that you believe in what you want to believe in, and that becomes your philosophy. But, um, you know, any force or religion, anything, no matter what it is, if it's negative, harms people, spreads negativity, it's not my team, so I'm not a part of it. But the overall concept that's there of 4,000 religions on the planet and that one of them has to be right, that I feel is a complete misnomer. I feel like they all try to yell over each other at a certain point instead of adding and promoting each other, the overall concept of spirituality. I feel like every single one of them is a small slice to a large pie. And if they sort of would work together in this this concept, it would add to the overall human spirituality experience. I mean, to understand any one of them takes a lifetime. So, you know, it would take 4,000 lifetimes to comprehend this overall thing. But I feel like if they didn't create so much division, there would be much more of a spiritual understanding in the world. That energy wouldn't be used to try and promote one over the other. It would be to use all the understandings to promote each other. And the one actually last thing that I'll mention that sort of bothered me in the first parts about it was in the book of Revelation, it talks about the emergence of a one world religion. Um, And this concept goes in line with a one world religion, but not really. It doesn't promote itself as a religion at all. And it doesn't really propose to blend them all into a one world religion. It means that you just basically identify parts of spirituality into what works for you. You can be a Christian omnist. You can be a Jewish omnist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe in. That's the point. But the, one of the parts about the book of Revelation that was added around, uh, you know, the book of Revelation itself was added 
around the time of the Council of Nicaea. It was added to the Bible. It mentions stuff like the rapture and in all of that other stuff, which I felt like the book of Revelation was basically just a means of control to keep people in fear, like the judgment of God, the wrath and all that. You know, keeping people in fear is not something the God that I know, the one that I've come to know would do. Um, which even saying the word God is something I don't like to use very typically, just because I feel like it is a connection to the dogmas of religion that I grew up believing. Uh, you know, when you say the word God, I've always pictured the the guy in the, the you know the white robe on the with the white beard on the clouds. Um, so when you say that word, it's difficult. But you know, saying the universe, whatever, uh, is kind of what I'm referring to. But the 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 overall encompassing you know source of whatever's out there. I don't believe is that wrathful, judgmental God that's brought up into the book of Revelation um, and other parts of the Bible as well. I just don't feel like that wrath and sort of lack of love for its creations is something that the God that I've made very infrequent connections with, uh, I don't feel like it's the, the, the God that I know. And I don't feel like that's something that that entity is capable of. But if you want to know more about this subject and more about on, omnism, definitely reach out to me. Um, we're in the process of finalizing an association of omnists and monthly newsletters, all separate from Live This Life. Um, but there is actually a section on the livethislife.org in the spirituality section that talks about some of this, um, where I've put some of those, those religious beliefs. Because I think that you know, once you start to go down this road and you open your mind to a whole bunch of different areas, you've, you've really opened up so much potential for your connection. And I also feel like that belief opens you up for whatever possible beliefs are out there, things that you could resonate with. Um, you, even when it comes to certain religious uh, exemptions that might be needed for certain things, this faith is whatever you believe it to be. If someone or something is forcing something on you that completely goes against your philosophy, your connection with source and and God and the one, this philosophy says that that's, that's against what you believe in. So if that's something you might be interested on, interested in and in getting in on the ground level of uh, hit me up, it's still very raw, still a lot of work to be done, um, but shoot me an email at connect at livethislife.org. Just put in the subject um, omnism in the subject line and we can chat about it. But that is about it on this one. Uh, so much more to bring on these spiritual concepts. Uh, I've been very infrequent about them, uh, but it's something else that's going to be firing up a little bit more for 2020 as the show starts to ramp up and gain more traction. And I definitely want to dive in on this a bit more on a regular basis um, because I feel like that spirituality, the exploring all those things can bring in so many more understandings of life and unlock some of the secrets of the universe and life for you. And when we learn more about where we've come from and the deeper meaning of our existence, um, you know, over what was taught to us over human experiences of most of our lifetimes, that, that box that we're forced into, you learn different angles and different perspectives. And I feel like that's how we really begin to unravel the why of why we're here and what our individual purposes might be. All right, so I'm going to leave you with a song from Eula, who is actually coming out with another album called Growth on May, tw uh, May 19th of 2021. The one that I'm going to play today, this one is a single from 2019 called Transcendence.
So until next time, transcend those, those typecasts. Transcend your perspectives. Find out what these things mean to you. Try and find a higher meaning, whatever that might be. But don't limit yourself to what someone else says it has to be for you. We'll see you next time.